Open your Bibles to the book of First Chronicles. First Chronicles 16. We're finishing up the... You're getting your Bible. Okay. Well, that's a good thing to have. My kids are running the show today. All right. First Chronicles 16. And we're continuing in the, uh, where we were last week. And we're finishing David's song of thanksgiving. I want you to remember the event upon which the song was written. It is at a, the reminder that God is with them as the Ark of the Covenant is brought back into Jerusalem. And this is a time when they're really struggling to see God. They're struggling to understand how God is at work in their community because they, God had allowed them to be exiled and taken away out. The readers of, of this are reminded of the faithfulness of God and why it is that they serve him because they have been exiled for so long. But the amazing thing to me, at least, about this text is that the commands and the encouragement really don't change as the seasons of life for Israel and for us change. We are called, no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what's going on as we, as we live our lives, to serve God. And in this conclusion to the song, we're going to see four things. Two commands and two reasons that were given the commands. First command is witness to the world. No matter how bad you think your life is, no matter how horrible it may be going on in your family or whatever's going on, your job is to witness for God to the world. That does not change. Number second command we're going to see is we're called to honor him in your home. We are always called, no matter how hard your, your life may be in your house right now, you are called to bring him glory and honor in your household. And we're given those two commands for two reasons. First, we're, first thing we're going to teach them is to contemplate his coming. In Christ's second coming, we see his judgment and his justice on display for all the world. And so as we teach them, we don't just teach them to be good people. We don't just teach them to stop sinning. We teach them to look forward to the God that is coming back and that is going to reign justly in his judgment. The second thing we're to teach them is to seek his salvation. To seek his salvation because salvation, the salvation that God provides is the only hope that we have. It's a sure hope that cannot be forded. The main idea of our text today is that we are to praise God and spread his gospel because of who he is. The title of this sermon is Thanks Be to God, Part 2. Stand as we honor the reading of God's word, starting in verse 24 of chapter 16. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his presence. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the, gl the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. 
Yet let the, the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Let the seas roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exalt and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are a good God that is always with us, always looking after us, and always keeping us. Father, I pray that we would be reminded amongst the hard times in life when we, we have struggles with, in, in our country, we have struggles in our family, we have struggles in every area of life at times, and yet you are good. You remain steadfast. You remain constant. And we pray, Father, that you would be on the throne of our hearts and that you would remind us this morning through the power of your scriptures of exactly how we, what we are to do and how we are to act to bring you glory. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. As you think back over your marriages, there's going to be many highs and lows in, in your marriage. We, we've been married, Chelsea and I, now six years. And in those six years, we've been through job losses, unexpected kids after unexpected kids after unexpected kids after unexpected kids. We've been moved, three, had three major moves from Kentucky to North Carolina and then back. Job changes four times. But no matter the season of life, we are... It, it, in my role as, as a husband has not changed. My role and even my obligation as a spiritual leader of the household, as the protector and the provider of our household has not changed. In the same way, our call to worship and praise God doesn't change because of the season of life that we're in. We are called to worship and glorify God whether times are hard or whether times are easy. And we're going to see that first in this first command, that we witness to the world. Witness to the world. Look at verse 24, if you have your Bibles open. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. We are called to spread his name no matter what. Notice that this is not a suggestion. This is a command. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what is going on in your family, no matter what's going on in the world, we are called as Christians, we're called out of this world so that we can spread his gospel and his name to the world. We are not, not to be people that are so engulfed in this world that we are, no, we are of no good to God. We are so engulfed in this world that we don't, are no longer witnessing to God the good, the scriptures, and his gospel, then we've lost exactly what we've been called to do. Now, we're called to do that two ways, individually and corporately. Individually, how do we do that? It's really simple. We tell people about God. We tell people about Jesus. And we show them through our actions. We throw, show them through our life. The two cannot be disconnected. If all you're doing is living a good life, but you never tell people of the God you serve, then they think you're a really good person. But they don't think that you serve a really good God. 
But if all you do is tell them about this really good God that you serve, but you, you act like the Grinch, well, you're going to think that God you serve is pretty awful. No, we have to be individually declaring his goodness, his glory among the nations, no matter what the circumstance we're in, and in, in with both in word and deed. But we're not only called to do that individually with our individual life, we're also called to do that corporately as a church. How do we do that corporately as a church? Well, one way is through the blessing box. In the, in the blessing box, we are giving to those who need. People are coming and they are taking exactly what they need. And they, we're, we're creating a name that we not only serve a God, but we care for the people that God has made. We also do that in the Lottie Moon offering that's starting next week, by the way. Where it's good, and I've challenged this church to give 10% of whatever you spend on presents on the Lottie Moon offering. So that if you go out and spend $1,000 on your friends and families, $100 you should be giving so that the gospel would go forth to all nations. That, why do we do that? Why should we give money to, to this offering? Well, because in the offering... This money is going to go to support pastors who are going to support people and plant churches in places that we can never go. Most of us, at least. And so in that doing that, we as a church are going to be supporting and declaring the glory of God among the nations. We're going to see two reasons why we do it. First, because he alone is worthy. Look at verse 25. It says this, For great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. Why is he worthy? It's really simple. Because he's created and sustained the world. And because he alone, because he is the creator, he is worthy of praise. Even if he never sent Jesus to pay for our sins. Even if he never sustained us and gave us all the good things that he gives us. He would be worthy. But it's not just because he's the creator. That would be enough, but it's not just that. It's also because of what he's done. Look back at verse 24. Verse 24, his marvel, what are we to declare? His marvelous works among the people. You should be saying, wait a second. This is talking about Israel, and now it says among the people. Speaking of the world, how is, how is God blessing the world? It's through us. He's blessing the world one way is through us. And so he is worthy because of what he's, what, who he is and because of what he's done. Now, how should that impact our, our, his worthiness impact our missions? How should that impact the way we, we share the gospel? Two ways. One, it should motivate us to share the gospel. Because we know who he is and what he's done, it should motivate us to share the gospel and bring it to everyone around. And two, it should magnify our desire. Should motivate and magnify. Really, it's one thing, but that's okay. So it should motivate and it should magnify. It should intensify this. Now, I want you to see because we serve the God that is the only true God, we can witness to the world with confidence. We are not telling them a fairy tale or a scheme, but we are telling them what they need to know to be saved. That though they are sinful, there is a God who loved them enough to die on the cross. And take their sin and give them his righteousness. We witness to the world because God is worthy, but, we, but it is because he alone is worthy that by necessity 
The text says all idols are worthless. Verse, look at verse 26. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Now that's an offensive statement. We're going to the world. We're going to people of different worldviews, different religions. We're telling them they're wrong. That's offensive, but it's offensive with a purpose. It's showing them the gospel so that they can be saved from a worthless and pointless existence. You see, it, it, is it more important, is it more loving that we leave people happy in their delusions or that we leave them angry in, with the truth? Because it's through the truth, through the preaching of God's word, that God saves souls. And so God, they can be mad with you for telling them. But they can be mad and know the truth and possibly by the power of the Spirit turn to him and experience the everlasting joy that is given. You see, he, he said Jesus preached an exclusionary gospel. Every other worldview and religion is wrong is what it says. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father but through me. So what this is saying is we must love people enough to tell them they are wrong. With, with hopes that the Holy Spirit will work in their lives and bring them to salvation through your witness. But we're, we're going to see one more reason why, and it's so that they can experience joy. It's not just to tell them they're wrong so that you can be right. It's so that they can experience joy. Look at verse 27. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. That's an exclusion to all other places. Do you see that? We must be able to bring this gospel to people, not just so that we can be wrong and they can be right, or we can be right and they can be wrong. But we must bring this gospel. We must bring the word of God. We must witness to people so that they can experience his splendor and his majesty, his strength and his joy. We share our faith with the world, not just to, to, to be right to win an argument, but so that they can join us in experiencing God. True joy is only found with our Lord. And, and so, when we seek people to come to Him, we are sharing the only way that they can ever have true joy. The, the Lord is worthy, and so we should seek to witness of His goodness to the world. But we cannot do this in neglect of our own family. And so the second encouragement that is straight from this text that it's where to do is this. Honor him in your home. Honor him in your home. Look at verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Why? Why do we ascribe? Who, who is it talking to first? O families of the people. That's us. In our homes, we cannot go out and spread the gospel in, exclu in exclusion of what we're doing in our own homes. It is important for you to, to as, as leaders in your household, to, to tell the gospel and raise up children, spouses, whatever, in the admonition of the Lord. It's important that we, we make the gospel, we make God preeminent in our households. Because if we don't... Those who are looking in at us right here in our own homes are going to think it's not, he's not worthy. And why do we do this? Once again, because he's worthy. Look at verse 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. 
bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Where does this start? This starts in the family. This starts in our home. So in our homes, not just once a week, but in our homes, we need to be opening the word of God. In our homes, we need to be reading the word of God. In our homes, we need to be praying together. Now that may seem countercultural. Well, good. It's supposed to be, right? Deuteronomy 6 says this. I've, I've preached on this text twice since I've been here. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. No wiggle room there, right? Keep going. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. We're going to see no wiggle room again. And shall talk about them when? When when you sit in your home or when you walk by the way or when you lie down or when you rise up. It's a really easy way of saying everywhere. No matter where you are, you're to talk about God and his goodness with, with your family. Why? Because it's important. Because this is the most important thing your children will ever hear. This is the most important thing your spouse will ever hear. This is the most important thing your parents will ever hear is that God is good. And that we need to be, as a community of faith, be raising up people and showing the gospel to people in our own homes. Well, he keeps going in this and he says, you shall bind them on signs on your hands. That's doing the word of God. And you shall put them as frontlets in your eyes. They used to wear a little box there and they missed the mark. What he's talking about is not putting something on your hand and your forehead. That just looks weird. You're supposed to be doing God's word and thinking about God's word at all times. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, this, your home should be a place that is governed by this. It's governed by this first and foremost. Before it's governed by Meade County or the state of Kentucky or the United States of America, it is governed by the word of God because he is our Lord. That doesn't mean go against those things. It just means that he's first. But we don't just teach them stories about God and take them to church once a week and think we're good. More importantly, verse 30 tells us that we are to teach them to fear the Lord. We're to teach them to fear the Lord. Look at verse 30. Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. You see, there's two reasons primarily why my kids want to obey me. One is because they love me, right? Two is because I have the authority. They know that if if there's a rule in my hand household that goes on Facebook, I may get put in jail, but that's okay. There's a rule in my household that if my mom or Chelsea or Mama spanks the kids, when I get home, I'm going to spank them again. Why? Because they need to understand that they can't act one way with me and another way somewhere else. They need to understand that they are acting in obedience to me and to Chelsea and to all, everyone under submission to the Lord as well. And so we, we serve in the same way we need to teach our children, we need to teach in our household and to everyone else as well, that we should obey God first and foremost because we love him. But secondly, because he's the Lord of the universe. He has the authority over all things. We need to serve him like as, as a master, as a servant to a master. The, the Lord is worthy of praise. And, and worthy to be praised by all the nations and by your family. 
We cannot neglect teaching of our children to fear the Lord because it is more important than anything else we're going to do. But what specifically do we need to teach them? Two things we're going to find in the text. First is contemplate his coming. This is the third point. Contemplate his coming. And we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 33. It says this. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exalt and everything in it. Then shall the trees and, and the, the forest sing for joy. You may be saying, where in the world is he getting this contemplating his second coming, his judgment? Right here, end of verse 33. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. All creation is going to bring glory and honor to God. This is a picture of the second coming of Christ. What the Jews in the first century were looking for Christ to do. This is a picture of him coming and redeeming all, peop- all the people that had come to him and renewing the earth. And so the seas roar, the fields exalt, the trees in the forest sing. Why? Because God is re- renewing the earth in its fullness. Then so creation is, lo- is waiting with expectation for the Christ to return. Because not only are you redeemed, but creation is redeemed as a whole. One day all creation will bring glory to God. And the, the only question is, will it be through your salvation or will it be through your judgment? Are you living with, your, with a mindset of the return of Christ? We, we live where, where moth and rust can destroy. We, we are to remain focused on the day when Christ returns because it is there which all the fullness of our hope remains. Beloved, it is because... It, it is because he is coming again that we can live in hope. Let me say that again. It is because Christ is coming again. It is because he is returning. It is because he is coming to wipe away sin from the earth that we can live with hope. Look at verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, wait a second. He's talking about, first he talks about creation, longing and creation, glorifying and singing praises to God. Then it says it's because of his judgment. And now it's talking about giving thanks to God. Judgment's a terrifying thing. Judgment is is a terrifying thing because God is good and we are not. Judgment is a terrifying thing because what we deserve is the judgment of God. And yet, here we are called to give thanks and rejoice. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. Well, where, I ask you, was his steadfast love pictured for all all creation? Upon the cross of Christ. Jesus came as a baby. We're about to celebrate Christmas. He came as a baby and lived the perfect life so that we could be redeemed on that cross And he died in our place so that we could now go to heaven. And so when judgment comes, we know as Christians that judgment already came on Christ for you. And so when we look for it and anticipate the judgment, not in terrifying it it, with terror, but we look forward to the judgment of God with anticipation. Because he's coming to bring us in. To wipe sin away from the world and to show us his goodness. The goodness of God is cause for fear if there's no salvation. If, if we are left to being judged by our own works, we're hopeless. 
So then why was, the, why was this a call to rejoice for the Israelites? It was a call to rejoice because they could see his goodness and love most clearly through his love for the people. Instead of the trembling that they are pray, instead of trembling, they're praising God. And this leads directly into our last point. We are teaching people to contemplate his return and judgment. And we are teaching them, finally, finally to seek his salvation. To seek his salvation. Verse 35 and 36. Say also, save us, O God of our salvation. It's an interesting phrase, don't you think? He's saying, save us, O God, that we know is saving us. But it's important that we remind ourselves that we are not deserving of this. That we cry out to God in thanksgiving and praise because he alone is worthy. Save us, O God of our salvation. And gather and deliver us from among the nations. He is our only hope. Call out to him. He's our only hope spiritually for our spiritual salvation. But he's also our only hope physically. Because one day we will live physically for all of eternity. And it's only if we've been covered by the blood of Christ that he he passes over us. But here's why. Here's the purpose for it all. That we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. So what's the purpose of your salvation? Westminster Confession of Faith says this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And what the text says is that we may give thanks to him, so praise him and glory in, in your praise so we are the reason that you were saved, the reason that Christ came and died, the reason that you have been plucked out of this world so that you can be a child of God is so that you can honor and glorify him for all of eternity. Do you see that? What I want you to see is that we are not saved because of who we are, but because of who he is. If our salvation rests on us, we're going to lose it. You've lost it already. You've lost it before the service ended. But our salvation doesn't rest on us. Our salvation rests on the unchanging, all-sustaining God of the universe that is always good and always for his people. I want you to see that. You, you were not saved because you were so desirable to God that he couldn't stand to live without you. That, that, that is a, a romanticized picture that leads to heresy. Rather, you were saved so that, or for the purpose of, bringing praise to him. I want you to notice as you look back through this song that David wrote in, in Thanksgiving, that they, the Israelite people, are not the focus of the song. God is. And so our salvation, this, your life, you are not the focus once you turn to Christ. Once you turn to Christ, he is your focus. He is your, your main point, your main idea in life. He is the reason you live. The Israelites were not the focus. and The only times they were mentioned in this song is to, to tangentially to show his greatness. Barring the phrase from Matt Chandler, God is first and foremost about God. Not you. And beloved, that is a good thing. Because if salvation was based on us, we'd be, done, we'd be goners. We're not good enough to hold our salvation. We don't do enough good works and we never can. But praise God, Christ came so that we could. And so that's why 
the song does not end with you or Israel, but with God. Go to the last slide. Because as we, as we finish, I want you to, to re- read the red or the, ye- the yellow as I, as I finish. This, this whole song, this, our whole life, our whole worship service, our whole church, whatever facet you want to magnify in or go out to, it's about God. Not us. And so as we, as we begin the Advent season next week and we start looking forward to, to the coming of Christ and, and praising God for that, I want you to remember that it is not about us. It's not as Judah told me last year when I asked him what Christmas was about. He said it was about presents. It's not about presents. It's about God. It's about the coming of Christ. And so the verse 36 says this, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people of God said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are a good God. You are a good God that is worthy of praise, not because just because of what you've done, but because of who you are. Father, I pray that everyone here under the sound of my voice knows you and they've submitted their life to you. Father, I pray that as, as they contemplate these thoughts as they contemplate this word as they contemplate this sermon that they would focus their mind and their heart and their soul upon you that they would refocus and reorient aspects of their life that is not focused on you so that you would be on the throne of that and father i pray i pray that you would you would guide and direct everyone here to see their sin repent of it and cling to you for it's in your precious son's name i pray amen